So that, I want to draw your attention to the two things that we put in the bulletin here today. Now I know I have a desk at home that is full of bulletin materials that eventually go in the trash. I would challenge you if there's two things that at least, if anything else, stick on your refrigerator that you'll see it and, and it won't go in the trash, it would be these two things. Number one, I have... Uh, I collect Bible reading programs. I'm a nerd that way. I have about 50 or 60 different reading programs from everything you could ever want to start with. I have chronological Bible reading programs, archaeological reading programs. I mean, I have all kinds of uh, programs that I find on the internet. I save them and print them out, put them in binders. This is the single best reading program that I have found for 2017. It is a five-day-a-week reading program that takes you through the entire Bible. If you read five days a week, so you have two days of grace each week. I I certainly need that grace in my life. And it takes you chronologically through the Bible as well, and it takes you through some of the New Testament, some of the Old Testament, some Psalms. It is a great reading program, and it's one that I think that uh, is doable. And so I want to challenge all of us, and I want you to challenge me. I'm saying this out loud now that you'll hold me accountable as your pastor. Uh, I'm going to be reading through this exact reading program, okay, starting this week. And, I, and you, have in, you have full permission to stop me at any time and say, Pastor Bo, how you doing in the reading program? Are you, are you doing it every week? Are you reading it? See, I think a lot of us have great intentions when it comes to reading the Word of God, but we don't have a plan. We don't know where to start. We have no accountability for people to hold us accountable as we walk along in that journey. So I think this is a great program. Just fold, it's already folded up. Just stick it in your Bible and make the commitment. And let me also say... You will drastically improve your chances of reading through the Bible in one year if you choose a certain time and place to read it every day. It doesn't have to be a legalistic rule. I've got to get up at six and I've got to read it in my office. It doesn't have to be that way. But when you make a commitment to the same time and the same place every day, it becomes a holy habit. And I, I, can, I can say that some of our golden agers, many of them have mentioned to me this year that through the guidance of the Guido Evangelistic Association, they were given uh, New Living Translation daily reading Bibles. And many of them have said to me they've walked through the whole Bible this year with that plan. They've been blessed by it. And so, again, it's good to, it's good to be organized and to have a plan. It doesn't mean we're not, we don't allow the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit to take us to different places throughout the Word in a given year, but to have a plan and chart a course it significantly improves our chance to get into God's Word. I'm so grateful that Jody chose the song that he chose this morning because the Word is alive. Amen? And I want it to be alive in all of us, myself included. The second sheet I, that we put in the bulletin, this blue sheet here, it's written by one of my absolute favorite authors. I would say he's the Southern Baptist leader in spiritual formation in the, in, uh, the publishing world right now. His name is Donald Whitney. And he has 10 questions to ask at the start of a new year. And then he's got a series of questions after that. These are great questions to to pose to ourselves, to say, where am I at right now in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Where am I at with my family? Where am I at in my job? What can I do to better follow the Lord this year? Now, before we dive into our, our message here this morning, I want to show you the correlation between these two things, why I put both of them in the bulletin this morning. All right. Of all the questions that Donald Whitney poses in this particular publication for us to ask ourselves, of the first 10, I could say seven of those 10 probably in some way directly relate to reading the Bible every day. And so if you look at the blue sheet of paper, let me just walk through a few questions and show you exactly what I mean. All right. Number one, it says, 
What's one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? Reading the Word of God every day, because if you don't know God, you can't enjoy Him. Number three, what's the single most important thing you could do to improve the quality of your family life this year? Read the Word of God. Learn and practice what God calls a family to do, and read the Word with your family. Number four, in what spiritual discipline do you most want to make progress this year, and what will you do about it? Well, spiritual disciplines are things we do to grow closer to God, and reading the Word of God is the number one thing. And what can we do about it? Commit as a church to reading a Bible plan. Number six, what's the most helpful way you could strengthen your church? By reading the Word and doing what it says. James says, be a doer of the Word. We need to be doers of the Word, but we need to know what the Word is before we can do it. Number eight, what's the most important way you will, by God's grace, try to make this year different than last year? I promise you this, and it's not according to my authority, but the authority of this book. If you read this book from beginning to end in one calendar year, you will be eternally changed. I have heard testimony after testimony of non-believers who read the Bible for a year trying to disprove it only to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lee Strobel, of course, who's written The Case for Christ, was a journalist uh, for the Chicago Tribune. He tried for several years to disprove the Christian faith, and he couldn't. It made him a believer. Same thing with Josh McDowell, one of the great apologists in the Christian world right now. He's published so many different books. Josh McDowell tried to disprove the faith, and what happened? He read the Bible. He became a believer. That's the power of God's Word. And so that leads me to the final question, number 10. What single thing that you do you plan to do this year will, ma- will matter the most in 10 years or in eternity? Reading the Scriptures and allowing God's Word to become big inside of us will change us now, 10 years from now, and for all of eternity. So I'm incredibly passionate about reading the Word of God. I believe accountability among brothers and sisters is really important. I'm going to confess to you, I struggle with this. Let me encourage you. It's hard. First of all, we are not the most literate society anymore, okay? Our attention span is about as quick as it is to scroll up and down a Facebook newsfeed page, all right? Our attention span is not what it should be. It's hard to commit to reading something every day, but we can do it. I know we can do it. I'm praying that we will be able to do this, and I need you to hold me accountable because even though I, I preach and teach and my nose is in that book every day, there, I'm going to tell you something. There's a difference between reading for study and reading for devotion. Anybody who's ever taught the Scriptures knows it's just different. When you go to that Word in quiet time and you're going strictly to be fed the Word of God, to be in the presence of God, and to offer your devotion to God, it's different. And that quiet time I struggle with because things get really busy very early. And so... I challenge all of us, and myself included, and I give you full permission to challenge me. Let's read the Word together this year. Amen? Amen. I I look at 2017 as a journey. In fact, as I prayed about the message here this morning, I think the best way to think about entering into a new journey is to look back at the Old Testament and think about the Israelites as they were getting ready to enter into the land of milk and honey. In 2017 is a journey, and the best way for us to prepare for the peaks and valleys of this journey is to consider what God has done for those who've come before us. We are walking together in new and undiscovered land, 
And much like the Israelites of our passage today who stood at the borders of the promised land of Canaan with anticipation as Moses gave them a final word of encouragement and of warning, we too are offered unique promises from God as we seek to enter into the unexpected territory of a new year. So don't tear the warning label off the cover of 2017 just yet. Because there's three things that I want us to consider before we enter into this new land. And that's the title of our message here today. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 11, and we will be in verses 1 through 12. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy and out in the infallible and errant word, let's read verses 1 through 12 together. Again, this is Deuteronomy chapter 11. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. Now verse 8. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them, to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day. Father, we stand at the borders of a new year, a year full of all kinds of possibilities, but a year, Father, where we desperately cling to you and seek your presence. Father, as we consider the Israelites who stood at the edge of Canaan, right before they enter into the land, you give these words to Moses to give to them and to us to remind us before entering a new land, what it is that you expect of us, what it is that you've done for us, and what it is that you promise us as well. So, Father, I pray that we heed the, the, the warnings and receive the encouragement and the promises that are offered in this passage as we enter into 2017. Open up our hearts and minds to receive it, to remember it, and to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. So there's three things, again, that I'd like for us to consider here this morning before we enter into 2017. I think they're tangible, I think they're important, and I also think they're biblical because we see it here in the text. So the first of the three things that I'd like to 
have us remember is, number one, before you enter this new land, consider the commands of God. All right, verse one says this, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. What I love about the way this passage starts out is it jumps right to loving the Lord your God because love is always the reason we obey. Love is always the reason we obey. Earlier on in the same book in Deuteronomy, back in chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, you've probably heard this passage. It's known as the Shema. All right? Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, it's kind of strange that we consider that a command. God does command us to love him. But love also comes freely at the same time. And so his command is almost something that I look at as a permission. God is saying, I am the source of all good and great things, and I give you permission to come and love and worship and be with me. It is the greatest blessing and privilege that we could ever be offered to to know and to love God. And he commands it of us. He said, it's the root of everything that we should say, think, and do. Because everything else, all our obedience pours forth from the love that we have for God. And if we don't love God, but we're trying to be obedient to him, it will never last. We'll run out of steam. And if you love, you know this in our earthly lives, if you love your father, you're going to obey him, right? Think about the best earthly fathers, either if you had a good earthly father, or maybe you had a neighbor, a friend, or another family member, an uncle that you just looked at and said, that is a man of God. I believe that you would probably say that is a man to be loved and obeyed, all right? There are men in whom we could say that we love, but we have no fear, no reverence for who they are or what they do. And if we love them and we don't obey them, how true is our love? How true is our love? I mean, if you have children and they tell you all day they kiss on you and hug on you and love you, but they never do what you tell them to do, how true is the love that they have for you? You know, I, I think of the story all the time uh, that one of my favorite preachers, Crawford Loritz, he's a preacher at Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. He used to work for Campus Crusade for Christ, and I just I remember hearing this one sermon, and the words just radiate my mind over and over and over again. He, he just talked about how he had this one daughter who once a week they'd go out to the shopping mall, and he'd buy her a dress, and he'd take her out to dinner, and, and the whole ride home, she'd say, Daddy, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then on Saturday night, she'd come home at 2 o'clock in the morning when he said, be home at 11. And he said, finally, he sat her down in the kitchen and lovingly looked at her and he says, if you love me, you will obey me. That's not, a, that's not an unloving thing to, to, uh, for the father to say to his children. If we love God, we're going to obey him. So I love the fact that this passage starts with the word love because God does call us to love him But if we do love him, it will spring forth into our obedience to him. And let me just say once again, because I've said this many times, but I just think it bears repeating, because I think that we don't properly define the word love in our society. Love primarily is not a feeling. It's a commitment. And feelings come from that commitment. But ultimately, it's the commitment first and the feelings second. Because my feelings will change, my commitment will not. So when I say, love the Lord your God, when the Bible says those words, it is saying, commit yourself to the Lord your God before anything else in 2017. And feelings will come from that. But your feelings will do this. 
All right, Dallas Willard, the great Christian philosopher, used to always say that feelings, they make great servants but awful masters. You can't live life according to your feelings because they'll change like the wind blows. But you can live life according to your commitments of love because those things don't change. I believe this with all of my heart. If people truly understood the biblical definition of love before they got married, the word divorce would never even be on the table to begin with. This is the love that God has for us, and this is the love he calls us to, that we enter into this new land of 2017 prepared to love and obey the commands of God. He teaches us this in the New Testament as well. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. I'm sure most of you have heard this. It says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Then he says, this is the first and great commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So how could Jesus sum up the entire law with love God, love others? Guess what? If you love God and you love others, you'll be obedient to the things he's commanded you to do. It always starts with love. Always. So let me say before we move on, if you love God, you will obey him in 2017. In what areas will you obey him? Here's a couple things to think about. What about your relationships? Do you honor God's expectations for your relationships? Do you have relationships where the things that you do and you say in the presence of these people, you would do and say in the presence of Jesus himself? What about work, your occupation? All right, do you work hard and are you honest about everything that you do in the workplace? If you love God, you're going to be honest even when it hurts, even at tax season. What about your family? Are you faithful in your marriage and do you model Christ for your children? I want, I want to commend you. I know that the scriptures can sometimes be weighty, and we've talked about confession, and we've had a lot of weighty messages. Let me encourage you. It is New Year's Day, and you are sitting in the house of the Lord, and for those of you who are parents, you've brought your children, I commend you. There's no better way to start 2017 than the decision that you made this morning to come into the Lord's house and to bring your children with you. Amen. May God bless your commitment. May God strengthen you on those days where it feels like it's easy to hit the snooze bar, where it's easy maybe to come to Sunday school and then go to the golf course or go fishing. Stay in the word. Stay committed to this church. And God's going to bless you in 2017 in a way that you maybe did not experience before. I I give you credit for the commitment that you've made to be here today. And I'll just say, if you love God, you will obey him in these areas and you will receive his blessings in 2017. So number one, before you enter this new land, Consider the commands of God. Number two, before you enter this new land, consider the works of God. Consider the works of God. Verses two through seven hit the nail on the head. They go back to the history of Israel. As Israel's getting ready to enter into this new land, Moses says, before you go, know this is going to be a land of hills and valleys. It's going to be a land of blessings and challenges. But before you walk into this land, I want to remind you of something. Guess how you got to where you are today? Because God did this. And God did this, and God did this. Now, it may seem silly to all of us that we read all the miracles in the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch. We read all the things that God did in Exodus and bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them close to that land of milk and honey, but they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they stand on the edge of the promised land, 
you would think that they would be mindful and remember the parting of the Red Sea and all the things that God did, but people forget. We forget. I mean, I, you know, I read this the other day on Facebook. Somebody posted, I remember praying for the things that I now have. You know, it's, it's so easy to forget how good God is when we all of a sudden receive the things that we've prayed for and we've had them so long, we forget how desperate we were to have them to begin with. I remember seasons of my life when, gosh, I remember the season that I left Pineland Telephone. I remember uh, being in prayer. I felt led to, uh, to enter into ministry. I didn't know where to go or what to do. I had no church at that time that was calling me to a ministry. I didn't know I'd be called to be a youth pastor. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing, but God told me to step aside and, and I left Pineland, and I had no job for several months. I was doing odd jobs. Uh, I was a freelance writer, and I, I wrote website copy for some companies here in town, and I did whatever I could do to pay the bills. But I remember being in that little, that little tiny apartment, Judy Forehand's old country store there in Excelsior, Georgia, and I just remember being on my hands and knees and saying, God, what are you doing? And I prayed that God would bless me with a career. I prayed God would bless me with a wife. I prayed that God would bless me with a child. He has been faithful to me. But you know something? Do you know how easy it is for me to forget that? Do you know how easy it is for me in this season as I, as I look towards being a better pastor and being a better husband and being a better father that I could just start pointing fingers at God and saying, God, why am I still praying for this? And forget all the things that he's already given me. I could look at all of you and say, there are things that you wish you had and you've prayed to God and maybe you haven't received, but have you forgotten all the things that you did ask that God did give you? For those of you who are married, do you remember what it was like to want to be married? For those of you who have children, do you remember what it was like to want to have children? For those of you who are homeowners, do you remember what it was like to pray that prayer that God would give you that key and you could turn the key into that deadbolt for the very first time and walk into that house? We forget. The world wants us to forget how good God is, and the Word of God will not allow us to forget. In this particular passage, and in the essence of time, I'm just going to kind of skim the top of it, verses 2 through 7, it talks about several different things. It talks about remembering what God did with Pharaoh, the power that God had to overtake Pharaoh and harden his heart, and all the signs and wonders that forced Pharaoh to release the Israelites from Egypt. And then what God did with the army of Egypt, he drew them into the parting of the Red Sea, and then he drew the water in above them, drowning them, forcing them to not have any power over the Israelites who'd already crossed over the dry land. And then Dathan and Abiram. In number 16, we see this family who points at God or who points at Moses and says, why'd you bring us out of Egypt for us to die in the wilderness? It'd be better that we just go back to Egypt. And they kind of spit in the face of God. And the scripture says that the ground opens up and swallows them whole. And then again, I just point to our life. If anything else, I don't know your financial situation. I don't know your marital situation. I don't know your occupational situation. You know what I do know? If you're in this house today claiming to be a Christian, God saved you. And that's always the most important thing. God took you from eternal damnation to eternal blessing, asking you only for repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did that for us. And we need to remind ourselves of that every single day. So how do you remind yourself of the amazing works of God when, when the world wants your attention? The world wants you to forget what he's done and make you question what he will do. Number one, read the Bible. That's why I'm so passionate about us being in this reading plan together. Let me say quickly, people read the Bible to ease their guilt. That's not what reading the Bible is about. If you start that reading plan and all of a sudden you miss a month, I don't want you to feel guilty. God's not banging you over the head with the Bible saying, 
read the Bible, read the Bible, read. No, that's not the point, all right? We don't read it to ease ourselves of guilt. We read it to fill ourselves with God. So if you stumble in trying to read the Bible this year, pick up where you left off and just keep going. Just keep going. I'd also like to say another way to remind yourself is to look at the things that matter the most to you in your house. All right, if you have journals, some of you journal. Go back and read your diary or journal entries. Some of you have photos, photo albums. Go back and look at your photos. Think about where you were when those things happened. You know what I do sometimes? I go onto our website. Jody's done a great job over the years of, of uploading photos, and I click through photos of the Cedar Street uh, photo albums on our website. And I look back to where I was when I first joined the church here. The very first picture of me was my first week as a youth pastor when Sharon and Adina had put together that youth service. You guys remember that? It was my first week here, and I, I, I didn't even know what to wear to the service. I don't think I had a, a coat or a tie. I had a polo shirt, and, and I didn't know what to preach, and the, I didn't really know the kids that well. And, and now I consider them my closest brothers and sisters in the world. God's, God's done so much in my life since I first joined this church. I have to remind myself of that. But if you don't have a photo album, all right, if you don't have a journal, you don't have a diary, you know one thing you can look at? Your checkbook. Did you eat today? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have clothes on your back? I got a call this morning at 9 o'clock at this church. A woman said she slept in the woods last night, and she asked me if we could do something. Now, I told her to come up and fill out a benevolence form and And if she comes, we're happy to help where we can help. I don't know her situation. I do not know how she ended up there. But what I do know is this. There's nobody in this room who went without last night. Maybe you don't have everything you need or you want, but you do have what you need. And it's God who's provided it. Remember his works. Remember what he's done for Israel. Remember what he did through Christ. Remember what he did for you, what he's doing for you now, and what he's promised to do for you in all of eternity. So number two, before you enter this new land, consider the works of God. Third and finally, before you enter this new land, consider the promises of God. Consider the promises of God. And that, and that final portion of the passage, verses 8 through 12 Basically, Moses is talking about the differences between Egypt and the promised land of Canaan. He's saying in Egypt, you had, you had to irrigate your own water system to, to, to grow the vegetables in the garden. But in Canaan, water comes from heaven and fills the, the hills and the valleys. God is the one who brings the water. Now, of course, God does bring the water as well in Egypt, but the, the point is this. As I was doing my studies this week, I noticed that in ancient Egypt, for them to be able to water a garden of vegetables, they had to have servants who hand-watered it seven days a week. It was very laborious activity because the, the Nile River would flood, and when it flooded, it would irrigate portions of the land. But then there were some dry, parched areas of the desert that you had to pour water on day after day after day just to get average vegetables to come up. But he's saying, you're coming into the land of milk and honey where God is going to do all the watering. He's going to do all the providing. You just have to trust in him. You just have to enter into that land with faith and receive the blessings of God by being obedient to God. And that's, that's the whole story of, of the nation of Israel, not trusting as they have those 40 years of wilderness experience before they enter into that land. And then Moses says to them, trust Have faith. God will provide. He will shower down rain from the heavens. I'll read the the passage, verse 11. It says, But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. 
The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Egypt was a place where they lived for themselves, where they had to provide for themselves. The land of Canaan was a place where they trusted in the provisions of God, and their response was simply to be men and women of faith. And let me say this before we go to our conclusion. God offers us many promises, but all of these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, meaning Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to, to God for His glory. A way of summarizing this, Christians say this all the time, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All the promises, all the things of the Old Testament are pointing to Jesus. God's saying, you're entering into this new land where God will be the one who provides. Well, the ultimate provision that God made for us is through Jesus Christ. And our response to that is simply to have faith in him as God makes us more like him. Jesus, we're not only saved by the blood of Jesus, but by the spirit of God that indwells us, we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's the ultimate journey that we're on in this world. We need to trust in the promises that God will do for us what he says in his word. He'll make us like Jesus. He'll strengthen us. He'll help us to live the life he's called us to live this year. And he'll do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. So that leads us to our conclusion. 2017 is a new land flowing with endless possibilities. But before you take possession of this land, will you do what God has required? Remember what God has done and trust in what God has promised. Let me just offer some some words of application here. To fulfill this, this mandate that we have, we need to keep our eyes on his word. We need to stay in the word of God. Again, if you stumble, if you fall, if you start that plan and midway through February, you've kind of gone off the rails, take a deep breath, pick up where you left off and keep going. Let's say you read half of the Bible in 2017. That's probably more than you read in 2016, and you're still going to experience growth and blessing. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Start your day in it. Or for those of you who are night owls, end your day with it. But read the Word of God. Also, continue to meditate on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Meditate on what you have read and, and what God has done for you. And then celebrate the rewards of all that He's promised us eternally, remembering, as Frank Sinatra says, the best is yet to come. No matter how good things are, something better lies ahead. No matter how bad things are, something better lies ahead. That's why I love God's Word. It always reminds us that the best is yet to come. I'm so grateful that we have an opportunity to begin this journey together in 2017. And I just pray as we enter into this new land that we're going to remember God's commands, we're going to remember God's works, and we're going to remember God's promises. Having said that, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, only you know what's going to take place in 2017. You know all the promises that lie ahead, all the joyous opportunities that lie ahead, all the pain and struggle that lies ahead for all of us. You didn't promise us a perfect path, Father. We know that you promised us that you would be with us in the journey as we take this path. And that's my prayer for myself and everyone in this church, Father. 
I pray for a closer walk with you. I pray for more time in your word, more consideration towards your commands and towards your works, towards your promises. Father, I pray if there's any thing in our lives that we've not done for your honor and glory as we enter this new year, this would be a time to get it right with you, to confess it to you, Father, to lift it up and to repent and turn away from it. And I also pray if there's anyone in this church at the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, open up their minds and hearts right now, that not not on January 2nd, but on January 1st, the start of a new year, they could begin a new journey by placing their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would burden their heart to repent and believe in the good news. And Father, we thank you that you have given us air in our, our lungs to be able to start a new year where hopefully we continue to walk in faithfulness as we become more and more like your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.